during the game I didn't see it. Fain online event. It's a live stream of an interview with Arsene Wenger. If you're watching us live, it's lovely to have you with us. If you're watching on the 48-hour catch-up, I really hope you enjoy the evening. Let's crack on and introduce the man who has written this magnificent book. Ladies and gentlemen, watching online, those of you live with us at the London Palladium, it's Arsene Wenger! <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for such a wonderful welcome. Did you hear they booed me when I came out? Because I wasn't <laughs> you. It was, it was difficult for me, very difficult for me. What a pleasure, Arsene, to spend some time with you tonight. Um, we've had lots of questions sent in. You'll be amazed to hear almost all of them are about Arsenal. Um, we'll get to some of those. We'll sort of stitch them into the chat as we go through a very long, a very successful career. And we will get to Arsenal as well, because there's lots to talk about with regards to that. But I wanted to ask, ask you, first of all, about the experience of, of writing this book. Because as you get to read it, you'll find that you get to know a lot about this man and you tell us all about your life right back to the start as well. So the, the actual, I suppose, the process of writing it, did you enjoy it? Did you find out things about yourself that, you know, you maybe you, you hadn't thought you would share? I didn't, uh, in fact, enjoy it, I must say, because I resisted a long time to write the book. And uh, in the end, uh, when uh, in my family I lost my brother, my sister, and I thought maybe I have to leave for people come after me uh, in the family uh, what happened, you know, before them. And uh, I had as well time and turned the book down for four or five years. And in the end, I thought maybe it's time. I had time available. And uh, maybe it's time as well to analyze. I arrived at 70. And uh, you start to think, what have I done in my life? Because you are... What have I done with my life as well? <laughs> <laughs> because you, you have been, for many years, you've been you know, living this high-octane football life, obsessed with football from a very early age. I wouldn't imagine you've had time to, to devote the amount of, uh, you know, sat down thinking about it to, to write a book like this. I, I, I wanted to show uh, two things, basically, is that uh, when you're a little boy and you have a passion, 
uh, life can be bigger than your dream. And I believe it's an important message to all the young people today who grow up in an uncertain world. And the second thing I wanted to share as well, uh, what I've learned from my uh, life with top-level people in top-level sport, the human lessons I've learned, what I've learned about human beings, and that human being can uh, surprise you, sometimes negatively, but as well positively, you know. And our job basically is to say to people, look, my life, my, my destiny depends on you, but you can do that. And so if you don't experience well to put your fate and destiny in the hands of others, you're not very happy in this job. Okay, well, we look forward to trying to get out of you tonight some of the things that you've learned. But talk about those, those young people you mentioned there. I wanted to take you right back to the start as a young boy growing up in Alsace and listening to football conversations in your parents' bistro and watching and listening other people discuss football. Is that where your passion for the game really started? And what did you learn from watching other people be so passionate about the game at such a young age? Well, I heard only uh, talk about football because the headquarters of a local club was a disastrous football team. <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, so every day, I maybe as a young boy, I listened to these people and I thought subconsciously football is the only thing that matters in life. And uh, I, uh, after that, it dictated my whole life. And I always... Uh, Subconsciously, for me, it was never a choice between football and all the rest. It was always football. And uh, that's why I don't really know. I, I, I knew the intensity of my desire, of my motivation. I didn't know really where it came from. When I started to think about my life, I realized that it must certainly come from that little bistro where people were picking the team for Sunday. And uh, I was so obsessed but I took the mass book uh, to pray God to help us to win the football. <laughs> Did it work? <laughs> uh, during the games, yes. Uh, I had my mass book and I read in Latin the mass to beg God to help us to win the games. We didn't win many. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing changes then. And no, 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 no. I want, that wasn't a reference to Arsenal. I was talking about generally. General, general faith reference there in football. Don't, don't, Arsene, don't you listen to them. All right, don't listen to them. Um, and you played a lot of football as well as a, as a young man, didn't you? And uh, one of the questions we had in tonight came from a guy called Michael who said, I think he was being slightly tongue-in-cheek, he said, Arsene, I've seen you be a wonderful manager, but were you any good at the game? So tell us a little bit about the sort of footballer you were and, and what sort of level you played to. Because you played as a, you started as a midfielder, is that right? I was a midfielder, creative midfielder. Uh, <laughs> Don't forget the creative. <laughs> on the good days. <laughs> no, it, it, is, uh, it is difficult to imagine. No, I was born in 1949 in a little village uh, that was agricultural. And uh, it was all about hard work. Football was uh, on Sundays. And uh, I started only to play at the age of 12, 13 because my father created a youth team because people told him, your son is quite good at, uh, at football. But we had no coach. My first coach was at the age of 19. And uh, somebody from uh, uh, third division saw me play and said, 
you're a good player, you have to come up. But I had never a coach. So I, I had my first coach at the age of 19. And then I played third division, second division, finished uh, in Strasbourg by playing a few games in the top league at the age of 29. But I was already coaching. So it, it is a, a strange career because I can't imagine that somebody has never had a coach at the age of 19 today can spend his life in football after. So my life is a little miracle on that front because I had the, the luck to meet people my whole life who trusted me and gave me my boy, you have a chance, you know, I, 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 I give you a chance. And I believe that uh, life is uh, the meeting of an attitude, a passion, and as well, somebody who gives you a chance. Hmm. And uh, maybe uh, the rest of my life, I had always that in my mind. If I can give a chance to somebody, let's do it. So that was always in your mind going forward? It was always you in my mind. Other players and, and signed you know, other players? Today, I'm ahead of a program at uh, FIFA uh, who is basically based on that. Give every boy in the world a chance to play, not to become a star, but to have the luck to play football with his friends and uh, enjoy it. So first coach at sort of 18, 19, and then you, you were, as you said, you were coaching yourself before the age of 30 while you were still playing. Who were your sort of early influences at that time? Either players that you liked to watch and enjoyed watching or people who were influencing you as a player yourself? My first influence was a man called uh, Max Hild, who was a manager. He saw me play and uh, after... He took me to the games, to international games. What I had in my whole life as a player, the managers talked always to me. Did they see something in me that uh, was passion or, or maybe some talent to analyze a game? I don't know. But uh, he was the first guy. And he encouraged me to become a manager, to become a coach. And at the age of 25, 26 already, I educated younger coaches, you know, uh, for youth teams, and I was already uh, uh, experienced to coach. I created a uh, children's school from five to seven. At the time, it didn't exist. So I was always interested in that. I don't think anyone here will be surprised to hear that uh, when you read the book yourself, um, Arsene was an innovator at a very early age. So when you were starting to coach at, at Nancy around the age of sort of 30, was it, is it right you brought a dietitian into the team even even then in, in the mid-80s? So where did that sort of influence of always trying to find how to do things better, where did that come from? Well, I, I believe in, uh, in my life at, at, as a coach, I mean, met two people uh, basically to make it as simple as possible. You have a guy who have an intrinsic motivation and the extrinsic motivation. The intrinsic motivation is uh, people who set themselves target, they have an internal need to push themselves, they're not necessarily happy people, they carry something that is a, a suffering inside them and uh, dissatisfaction that uh, transform into motivation and their, their motivation comes from a desire to improve always and uh, to set themselves target and analyze what they do. When you have people who have uh, extrinsic motivation, they're basically people who are motivated by goals coming from outside. People say to them, you have to do so much in the game and you have to do it, they do it. But the motivation comes extrinsic from outside, exterior. Or it is financial. 
if you do that, you will get a big bonus, you know. <laughs> so uh, uh, there's many as well in the game who are like that, motivated by extrinsic uh, factors. The most, uh, those who go higher are, of course, the, the guys who have that intrinsic need, basically, to push themselves as far as they can. And uh, I believe I had that because I wanted always to, to become better. And uh, I'm not sure I always was successful in that, <laughs> but uh, I had that desire to understand better the world I live in and uh, not only be based on uh, my pure intuition. And uh, I would say that uh, science and the rational world can help you to understand better the world you live in. And even at that early age, and I suppose right throughout your career, it's been that you talk about defeat making you feel physically sick. I think even when you're in that first um, team that you coached, honestly, I think there was one time where you actually were sick on the way back from a game because you'd lost. Has, wh where did that come from? And Because that, that stayed with you throughout your entire, probably still now, isn't it? Well, uh, it was from a very young age. I couldn't uh, take defeat very well. You know, we are, we are all a mixture of... Uh, uh, desire to win and hate to lose. Some of us are a bit more desire to win. Usually the strikers are more uh, the uh, desire to win, the love for the get for winning. The defenders are more hating to lose. And uh, so I was maybe psychologically more defender. And uh, the defeat was at the start. Let's not forget, you know, I, I stopped at uh, the age of 69. And I started at the age of 33 in the top league in France. And uh, at the start, sometimes I felt I have to stop this job because I'm killing myself. I was physically sick. I had to throw up after defeat. And uh, at the time, I was alone with the team. You had no assistant, no goalkeeper coach. Uh, you were you and the team. And your credibility came from your motivation and the quality of your training sessions, you know. And I had players who were older than I was when I started. And uh, that demanded, of course, a huge commitment. But I adjusted slowly, adapted, because I started at a very young age. And, uh, but uh, to take the defeat was always very difficult in, in my head and in my heart. And every big defeat is a scar in your heart forever. And that, that never got easier, did it? Losing. Sorry? You never got used to losing throughout your whole career? I got never used to it. And on the other hand, the manager who is a happy loser doesn't no, last I, a long not time. Not <laughs> It's always nicer to interview a manager after they've won, I think. It's always a, always a nice way of putting it. And one other thing, sir, before we leave your sort of playing days behind, I think for those who didn't see you playing in the flesh, give us an idea of the sort of player we might see around about now who had a similar style to you. You called yourself a creative midfielder. What's a modern-day well, uh, player that'd be a bit well, like uh, Arsene Wenger in his well, prime? No, well, let's say I scored a few goals. I don't know. Uh, uh, I hope you don't find any video of me. <laughs> I, can, I can tell you what I want, but... Uh, <laughs> Zinedine Zidane. <laughs> I was not Zinedine Zidane. <laughs> Zinedine Zidane has one quality. No matter where the ball comes from, it's his friend. He's welcome. You know? <laughs> yeah. I was not that kind of player. Okay. <laughs> but uh, I was, uh, I think, a genuine uh, 
midfield who was well balanced offense defense i was not a creative uh, uh, at the top level but i was quite good defender and a decent pass of the ball look at a quite a normal vision of a game not too bad i don't know uh, <laughs> see for two i, I love the way you're uncomfortable talking about it i love it <laughs> um let's talk a bit about monaco because when you when you moved to monaco you won the league in your your first season there um did that give you did that success feel at that early stage in your career did it feel like you expected it to feel or did that give you a hunger to know i i love this i want more of this yes i uh, i would say uh, as well uh, when you start in this job you you have to know that you can win and the first win in your life is of course vital because you think you belong to this world and uh, you have a chance to be successful in it i was 37 years of old champion uh won the championship in france with big teams where paris saint germain marseille bordeaux were huge teams and so we were a surprise package and uh, so i got stabilized monaco as well in europe at the time they had no history they never passed the first round so uh, i was the longest serving manager in monaco in the whole history of the club i stayed for seven years and uh, it was as well a uh, bad period in France as well, because there was a lot of uh, other things going on. But overall, uh, I enjoyed my time because at the time as well, Monaco was not a team in red and white. And uh, we represented uh, the Prince. And there was a kind of class there that I, I, uh, I recognized after when I came to Arsenal. The first time I came to Arsenal as a manager, I felt my friend, it is something special there, you know, that you smell when you go in in Highbury, in the board, in the, the way people behave. And I was always conscious that uh, you have to be at the level of the expectation. And when you were at Monaco, you signed you know, the likes of Glenn Hoddle when you were there. How aware were you of English football at that time? How much were you watching and how aware of Arsenal were you at that point in your career? When I was in, in at Monaco, yeah. Monaco, I, uh, I, I uh, met David Dean uh, the 2nd of January, 89. And then, of course, I uh, followed uh, Arsenal at the time. We couldn't watch him on television. But I looked at the results, called David sometimes. How are you doing? I said, how are you doing? And uh, so we had uh, connections. And uh, I knew uh, that uh, George Graham was successful after uh, when uh, I went to Japan, 95. I, I had already met uh, Mr. Peter Wood and David Dean in London on my way to Japan. And they tested me already to see uh, uh, if I was good enough to join out. <laughs> and they went after for Bruce Ryok, and one year later they came to ask me to join Arsenal. So that initial meeting when they were sort of testing the water and finding out what you were like, was that exciting for you? Did you did you think, oh, this could be something I will do maybe later in my career? Yes, I wanted to come to England. I, I went, I came to England the first time uh, to watch a football game was 82, 83. And it was a shock for me. I thought, what football has been created? It was really, on, honestly, it was an emotional shock. I went home. And I thought, what am I doing in France? It's here, <laughs> it's here that football is really alive, you know, because uh, it was at Liverpool. 
it was an, uh, a game where you could feel the passion uh, of the game. And uh, what uh, was very strong for me is that uh, the supporters experienced the game really 100%. They tackled with the player. The corner was uh, uh, positive. Everything, they, they, ex they lived the game. And uh, so I had that in my mind. If one day I can come here, I will do it. One day I'll do it. And before we get to Arsenal, that time in Japan, again, when you write in the book, it's a really interesting, because um, we'll talk a little bit about more your relationship with the press as we sort of go through the evening. But is it right in Japan, you didn't read any of the press? You didn't uh, weren't aware of what they were writing about? It's you. not that I didn't read. I couldn't read. You couldn't read. Okay. okay. <laughs> Slightly different. Did, was was that actually in a strange way? Was that actually a relief to not know what that discussion was on? Yes, I, I, I didn't start well because <laughs> uh, Nagoya was the burden of the J League, they called them, and uh, so I discovered uh, the complete freedom when uh, a journalist writes that you're useless. I did welcome him the next day with a smile <laughs> uh, because I couldn't read what he wrote. So. <laughs> I had I discovered the relationship with the press that was completely new to me, and I discovered as well a country that uh, uh, was willing to do well and had natural uh, qualities to work hard and to work for each other. It is a natural team mentality. And I moved away a little bit uh, away from the pressure that you have in Europe, and uh, it refreshed me. Having had that experience of watching football in the early 80s in, in the UK and, and wanting that, when that opportunity then came after Japan to come to Arsenal, talk to us about that excitement of getting that chance. Because at the time, you know, everyone will remember the headlines of Arsene Who. I'm sure you remember those as well. Um, what was that like, those first few days of trying to arrive, trying to make an impact and trying to find a suit that fitted properly? You know? <laughs> well, I... I uh... At the time, it's difficult to put that into perspective. Now it's 96, no social networks. I was already, uh, you know, quite successful. I was manager of the year in France, uh, was manager of the year in Japan. I came to England and suddenly it's Arsene Who. And uh, so I had to start from scratch again. And I could understand that and I accepted it. But of course, I could feel uh, skepticism among the players. I inherited a team that was monocultural English, guys who tough guys. You know, you could go to a fight with them. Uh, the, uh, with, uh, the Adams, the Bold, the Keown, the Wilson, yeah. the Dixon, the Seaman at the back. Just they told you, don't worry, we go on, we, we can fight. <laughs> We're in charge. Yeah, <laughs> we are. We are ready for the fight. They were a little bit on. Uh, the old way of behavior. Uh, very, very diplomatic, I said. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, they were very good of, on the pitch, but they are very good at night of the pitch. <laughs> but, but uh, when you needed men, they were there. You know, mm. I, I, I had a huge respect for them because, and I discovered something when I encouraged them to play out from the back. A much better player when I fought at the start, and uh, so and I tried to, of course, to bring my own training sessions. Were based more on uh, mobility, uh, technical, 
technical qualities, but as well to give them a new way of life to prepare for the game. Mm. They were skeptical, I must say, <laughs> <laughs> because you don't suppress the beers and the wine uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, without getting any skepticism, but they were clever, intelligent. But uh, in '96, this team was a very sensitive team for me because they were all around 30. I had nine players who were 30 or over. So I know, I knew at some stage I will have to tell all these guys that it's over, you know. And that is very difficult when you're manager because mm. when you have so many players of the same age, uh, they stick together. And I, uh, I pushed them as far as I could. And they were clever enough because 96 was the change of the television money. For them, uh, they had not made uh, much money before, but from 30 to 35, they had earned a good living. So they were, that helped me a lot to change their style of life. I'm sure you, I know you're very good with dates. I don't know how many people here tonight and those watching online are aware that this is actually an anniversary, isn't it? The 12th of October. 12th of October, yeah. <laughs> For those that don't know, explain us then. This 12th of October was the first game we played at Blackburn. And I think we won 2-0. And, uh, and Ian Wright scored. Yeah, I, I, did, I, I should confess, I spoke to a couple of Arsene's former players at Arsenal um, in preparation for this. Some of them have sent in some questions. And Wright, did mention, ask him about the first game. Because I think, he, I, I think so how, he remembers. What, what was funny on the game, on the way to the game, the players chanted, I suppressed the chocolate, uh, the mass bars and all that. And uh, on the way to the stadium, the players chanted at the back of a coach, we want our mass bars. <laughs> <laughs> and I said to Gary Lund, what are they chanting? They said, they want the mass bars. <laughs> so, I would imagine time, he, right, he was involved in that, I would imagine, yeah? At half time, uh, we were one in up, I think, and uh, nobody said a word. Usually I let the players come in, calm down, they speak, they talk with the physio. Nobody said a word. And I said to the physio, what's going on there? He said, they're hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. <laughs> I mean, I know, I know it's a funny story and they, they'll probably laugh about it as well, but changing that culture, how, how big a battle was that about the, you know, the fizzy drinks, about the Mars bars, about the, the, some of the drinking that went on after the match? I don't know how much, kind, but uh, our job is about marginal gains. And uh, maybe at the time uh, they prepared better, they were conscious that uh, they stretched more, they uh, uh, ate better, we ate, had lunch together every day at the time at the Sopwell Hotel because we decided to create, to uh, build a new training center. And uh, uh, these players were exceptional characters, you know. They were not educated in uh, today's uh, soft academy support. They came from uh, tough football, that you have to play some, many of them in a championship. So when they got up to that level, they were ready for a fight, these guys. And, and willing to do it on occasions. I also spoke to Martin Keown today, Arsene. Um, I, I asked Martin for one question. He gave me 25. 
And I, I, it was about an hour on the phone, but he he had a he had a very interesting point. He told me, you know, I've spoken to him at length about the influence that you had on him individually, and talking about you know extending his career as well. He was really interested to know, and he said, "We as players learnt an awful lot from you as a manager. What did you as a manager learn from us?" He said, "As players, what I learned that uh, the importance of a character in the game, you know." It is because when you're a manager, you have to cope with uncertainty. You make decisions and you have to accept the uncertainty of your decisions and to be convinced that it's the right one, but no, as well, you can go wrong. And uh, this, the, the, when you have a character, when you have this team with such a strong character, when I say character, it's not personality. That is something that is based on courage, honesty, integrity, honor and this generation had that you know what i learned from that from them is how important it is in a success and uh, i i felt as well that this generation they did fight for a good contract and it was not easy to to get them to agree <laughs> but once they had signed they were happy to play for the club and to fight for the club you know and uh, so this is a, a generation who there was less movement. When you played Man United, they were Man United for life. The players, Liverpool, they were Liverpool for life, you know. And uh, it, it, this rapport created a big, big fighting games as well, because these players they were ready to fight for their club. I'm sure everybody remembers those fantastic encounters. And we'll get on to that rivalry with Manchester United a bit later on. Um, but from you, you said, you know, you said Arsene who those headlines. And within two years, you'd won the double. And um, with this side of, as you said, some, some ageing players in there. We'll talk a bit about the transition and the players that you brought in. But that must have been a real vindication of your methods, of what you were trying to do. The fact that you'd taken this Arsenal side, who were up against some fantastic teams at that time in English football. You'd taken them to the very top. Yes, because uh, Man United was a dominating force at the time. And of course, you had Newcastle, uh, don't forget, had a yeah. very strong team as well. And... Uh, Liverpool, of course, uh, we had always Tottenham, and uh, <laughs> we... Uh, Is he allowed one mention throughout the day? One mention? Okay. <laughs> we won the championship 98 with this generation, plus uh, players are brought in like uh, Patrick Villa and the main players uh, and Marco Vermaas, mm. you know, and... Uh, <laughs> there were exceptional football players. I knew Patrick from... When he started to play against Monaco, when I was manager, straight away after the game, I thought this guy is 17 years old, he'd be a great player. And Marco Vermas, I loved him for a long time before, but he had a bad cruciate knee ligament injury. And they told me uh, in, in Holland that uh, he would never come back. But I took the gamble to bring him in 